Let's dive into our series called The Way that we're into, uh, part four. If you missed last week, uh, my wife, Christina, preached a great message. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. If you haven't, subscribe to our YouTube channel. All of our messages are uploaded. You can stay up to date while you're traveling or out of town. But today I wanna, we're going to be our fourth installment. We'll wrap up next week. And uh, we've been talking, if you're newer to Catalyst, this series, your teaching series, and the way, it really doesn't, we didn't make that up, it comes from Scripture. In the book of Acts, the early church was known as the way. Uh, because Jesus said in the book of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So those who followed him were called followers of the way. So if you're a follower of Christ, we are followers of the way. And I want to talk in this series, and we have been, of how do we follow Jesus in our current cultural moment. And we've been looking at texts out of the early church, you know, Acts and Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, as well as the Gospels. And today will be no different. But today we'll look at a different kind of angle of this whole idea of following the way. In fact, we're going to look at one half of what's known as the great commandment. Let me read it for you, Mark chapter 12. Uh, uh, it's verse 30. These are the words of Jesus. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second part of the great commandment, is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You know what I love about Jesus? He takes 613 Old Testament commands, and he breaks it down into two. Come on. Even if you're somewhat skeptical, you got to love that. Come on, somebody. He's like, let me just give you two. Man, love God. Man, I love people. And to give context in the Greek, the word neighbor simply means somebody nearby. Uh, so that means, yes, your physical neighbor but can I tell you where it starts? I think of the, the Mother Teresa quote where she says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Amen. So it starts with those in your house, with your physical neighbor, with your coworker, with uh, your fellow church member. You know what I find in our Western culture, even the church, and even myself personally, I'll be honest right now, we can find it easier to go somewhere across the world in church, we call those missions trips, and love somebody, then love the neighbor across the street. You want to know why? Because the neighbor across the street, he parks in your space and you don't like it. Come on. It's hard to love that coworker that's really annoying. You know, the one that won't stop talking. You're like, I'm trying to work. Please, in the name of Jesus, stop telling me about your weekend. Right? It's harder to love people who you know their imperfections. It's easier to love somebody that I don't know because you're a project, not a person to me. It's hard to love somebody. You know, their failures, their misgivings, they're kind of brash. They can be kind of rude. They're not always a great Christian. They're not always humble. That's the one we're talking about today. How do we love our neighbor as ourselves, as Jesus says? But first, let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, today, as we open it up, uh, we just thank you, Lord, that you're going to speak to us. And we even, before we, we even hear what you have for us, we say yes to it, God, because we believe that your words are words of life. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read a story that if you have been around church, you have heard before. 
Uh, but I'm going to encourage you to read this afresh and anew. The great news of the Bible is it's a living book, uh, which means the Bible never gets stale. Aren't you grateful? You can read the same passage 3,000 times, and God can speak something fresh. His spirit can reveal something to you through it. So let's read. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, which is a lawyer, like many of you in this room, Stood up to test Jesus. Teachers, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, mind you, he was not just asking, what must I do to live forever? Uh, because eternal life, when you read that in the scriptures, is referring to not just what do I do to not die. He's asking, what do I do to experience true life or true fulfillment or true joy here and forever? He then goes on to say this. Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who, who is my neighbor? What I love what transpires next is Jesus does not answer the question. He doesn't answer who is my neighbor. He actually teaches the man how to love his neighbor well in this parable. That's what we're going to read. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I want to share with you three simple thoughts, points on how to love our neighbor well. So here's the first one if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, just write this down somewhere for your neighbor. Number one is we got to see our neighbor. I got to see my neighbor. If I'm going to love my neighbor, I need to see my neighbor. Verse 30, he says this. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he's attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. To give context, the passage from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles on a pretty steep incline. It was a rough section of town. You know the sections of town when you go in, you lock your door at night? Or maybe, ladies, you clutch your purse a little bit closer. That was this area of town. So it, it would have been like commonly on the evening news or trending on Twitter, another robbery from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was the area. So him saying this parable, everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened yesterday and the day before and the day before, you know. And then a priest happened to be going down the same road, and he saw a man. He passed by on the other side. So to a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So a priest and Levites, Levites worked in the temple and priests led in the temple. So they commonly lived on this 17-mile stretch. It was kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem. Kind of like you live in Bethesda, you work in D.C. Or maybe you live in Rockville and you commuted here this morning. Uh, that is what this place was. Now, I have read this text. I have probably taught this way. I know I've heard it this way in messages that sometimes it's easy to beat up on the priest, right? Like how can a man of God walk by a man on the side of the road and leave him for dead? Or a Levite, right? Come on, you work in the temple. How can you walk by? Let me give you context. The man was half dead. That means he appeared dead. If a priest, it was against Old Testament law. It was against the Mosaic law for a priest to touch a dead person. 
Because if he did, he was deemed ceremonially unclean. Therefore, he could not fulfill his priestly duties. So in some way, you could say the priest was obeying the law by not stopping to help the man. Are you following me? Not to mention the priest would have put his job in jeopardy. How many of you, to give you real, say, man, if I help this person, I could lose my job? Does it, do you feel that weight a little bit? And the Levite, we don't really know why the Levite, we don't know why. We can make presumptions based on what we know of the context. But, I mean, maybe the Levite was just really busy. Now, listen, I'm not, I don't throw shade at the priest or the Levite anymore. You know why? Because I see myself in the priest and the Levite. I've been so busy sometimes that I have parked my car, and even though I saw my neighbor, I went into my house without saying hi to my neighbor. Can I, can I just confess something to you as a pastor? I know none of you ever had this issue, but just let me get it off my chest. I have driven by somebody broken down on the side of the road, and I didn't stop to help. I know all of you always do. I know that. But just pray for me. Because I'll think to myself, well, somebody else will help them. And, and I think maybe, maybe that's where they were. They, they were, listen, sometimes the reason we don't see our neighbor or we don't see people because we're preoccupied with ourselves, Or what that often looks like, if you're Jeremy Burroughs, this little mirror in your pocket. How many of you ever missed a moment because these little mirrors? iPhones. Because I know none of you have Androids because you're people of God. <laughs> you're intelligent. You're smart. You're well-educated. You wouldn't buy trash. Just kidding. We love you. We just don't fully understand you. <laughs> Even this week, true story, I walked inside, pulled up, went to the gym, came home, and my, uh, my wife said, hey, did you see? And she mentioned one of my neighbor's name. And I said, no, I didn't see him. Sure enough, I looked outside. I saw him. I was preoccupied with myself. That I didn't even see my, my neighbor who kind of just walked through kind of a medical procedure and it just reminded me, I was confronted again with how often I can, I can live distracted and not see. Verse 33 says, when the Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, watch this, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. That word pity is the Greek word splonknizomai. It means compassion. It's a compassion that moves you to action. That he saw him and he was, he was moved. This is why it's so important we see our neighbors. Frederick Buchner. Christian author, pastor, theologian, said this, if we are to love our neighbors before doing anything else, we must see our neighbors. Luke 4.18, Jesus said this, quoting Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, preach the gospel, send me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, free us of our sin, and recovery sight for the blind. Now, can Jesus and did Jesus recover the sight of the physical blind? Yes. But you know what the New Testament speaks to more often? Is recovering sight for the spiritually blind. In fact, Paul often will write this, that before Christ we walked in darkness, but now as children of the light we walk in the light. It means when things are lit up, we can see things clearly. We need to have our spiritual lenses. I want to encourage you, even this week, say, God, God, help me to see my neighbor, to see opportunities to love people around me. Let me get practical. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 2, verse 3, says this. He says, don't be selfish. Well, tell us how it is, Paul. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take in the interests of others too. So Paul says be intentional about focusing on other people. Now, I was reminded of the power of intentionality. About a month and a half ago was when Christine and I decided to, um, we have a, a still relatively new three weeks. We've had a, we've had a golden doodle puppy, uh, Toby. And about a month and a half ago, we decided to, to we're going to go ahead and move forward and, and get Toby. And what's crazy is that the week we were discussing it and deciding it, all of a sudden, I started to notice dog after dog after dog. I'm like, this neighbor has a dog, and that neighbor has a dog, and that dog is walking a dog. <laughs> like, now I see dogs everywhere. I'm like, the whole world has a dog. Now, listen, my neighbors always had a dog, but I didn't see it until I was thinking about it. You've experienced this, haven't you? Like, when you're looking for a house, you see it, you notice every house. When you're looking for a car, you notice all these cars. And why? Because when we're intentional, here's what Paul says, intentionally look out for others. Hey, when you go home today, intentionally notice the sink full of dishes and wash them for your spouse or your roommate. You go into work tomorrow, man, notice that coworker who looked dejected after the meeting. Like notice the people in your life. That's what Paul says. Man, don't just look for yourself, but Man, look out for other people so that you can notice. You know what I noticed this week is God was working this word in me. You will have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity tomorrow, every day, to love somebody when you begin to look for it. So he, he saw him. And what's, what's powerful of this scripture was Jesus could have said anybody. But he said, you know, priest, Levite two Jewish temple workers. Then he says, but a Samaritan. Now, if you were in that culture at that time speaking to a Jewish man, when you heard the word Samaritan, you would have said, oh, what? That was a dirty word. What was Jesus doing? He was confronting their racial prejudice. Can I tell you what God's still in the business of doing? Confronting our racial prejudice. Confronting our cultural discrimination. Confronting when, when there's injustice. That's what he was on by saying a Samaritan. He knew what he was doing. Because he's showing, hey, a Samaritan. And can I tell you what, what love does? Love does not see or define. Let me say this way. We do not respond to people based upon their race and culture. We respond to them based upon the fact they were made in the image of God. We, we don't respond to people based upon their political affiliation. We respond to them based upon they were made in the image of God. Can I get an Amen. Got a little quiet in this church. So we're called, to, we're called to love people. And Samaritans were difficult to love at that time for Jewish people and vice versa. There was tension, racial and ethnic tension. Do you have anybody in your life you find difficult to love? If they're with you right now, just look straight ahead. Don't give them a little side nudge. It's you. Man, there's people in my life I have a hard time loving. I'll be honest. Like, it's, it's a choice. Just a side note, biblical love is not a feeling, it's a decision. Agape is like, I'm going to wait till I feel like it. Listen, you may never feel like loving some people. 
I got some people I never feel like loving. I hope I free you up. Some of you are judging me, and you need to, you need to repent right now. Okay? Because you ain't loving me right now. James said this in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But it, watch this. If you show favoritism, you sin, and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Man, who is it in your life you have a hard time loving? Maybe for you it's certain personality types. Maybe it's people who are a little bit brash. Maybe those who are a little more passive. Maybe it's people with certain kinds of perspectives. Maybe it's people with certain kinds of humor. Maybe, maybe it's, it's certain, um, not just certain types or certain qualities, maybe a certain person in your life. Maybe it's that neighbor who parks in your parking space. You're like, Jesus, you love him. I'm not. Maybe it's that, na- that, that coworker that you find a little bit annoying. Maybe that coworker that actually talks behind your back, you have a hard time loving. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's somebody, maybe it's that family member. Come on, you all have this relative who overstepped their bounds. Come on, you brought your boyfriend to that family get-together. He pulls you aside. He ain't the one. It's like, hey, you don't even know him, uncle. I just don't like him, right? Slow your roll, unk, right? You overstepped your bounds. Like, who is it for, who's the Samaritan for you? I believe today the Lord's putting that on that finger. That's the person. Jesus even said this, even those outside the faith love those who love them. The followers of Jesus, man, we'll love those who even despise us and hate us and reject us. In fact, he says this in Luke 6, 27. But to, who, to you who are listening, I say, let me pause this right here. It is presumed while he says this to his disciples, there was a Roman guard nearby. So he says, to those of you who are listening, why is that important? Because Roman guards were known to persecute, beat, and even kill Christians because of their faith. So to his disciples in the presence of a Roman guard who was their oppressor, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Let me say this. This scripture does not mean, and I want you to hear this, that if you're in an abusive situation, you stay there. If you are, get out of that. That is not what the scripture is saying. But what it's saying is, see, we have, we have a culture, that there's, a, there's a cultural current. Maybe you've heard this. I've even seen it posted on social media. People are like, I only want people around me with good vibes. Good vibes only. Yeah, you got good vibes all day, but you'll develop no character. Sometimes God sends someone with bad vibes so you can have some humility. Sometimes he sends somebody with really bad vibes so you can actually develop some integrity. So you have a cultural trend. Only you tucks out, cut out toxic people. Say, like, no, sometimes actually people who you call toxic or bad vibes are to develop Christ-like character in you because you are called to love your enemy. I'm preaching better than y'all are responding, but that's okay. I'm going to keep going. Don't give me no good vibes. You know why? Because the Bible says God exalts the humble, not the good vibe. So listen, have your good vibes all day, but don't give me your good vibes. I need 
And listen, oftentimes the best development and discipleship in your life does not happen from a Bible study. It happens through an annoying coworker. It happens through a neighbor who bothers you. It happens through someone who has a different perspective than you. Do a Bible study. But don't just accept good vibes. Accept those around you. Love those around you. I remember I had a, a, a coworker some years ago. Have you ever had a coworker who you just like knew, like we'll never be friends, right? Like oil and water. And some years ago, I had, I had one of those coworkers. I didn't like them. They didn't like me. It was a mutual, you know, mutual rejection. Very healthy. <laughs> I'm a work in progress, people. This was last week. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I remember uh, I, I, Christine and I were newly married. So I went home expecting, you know, I'm going to like, I was talking to her about this person. I was like, going to get some spousal support. I was like, can you believe they did this? Can you believe this? How could they? And I was expecting her to be like, I know. You are so amazing, Jeremy. <laughs> and they are terrible. I hope they get fired too. That's what I was expecting, you know, a little love, a little support. And she had the audacity to say, have you prayed for them? Have I prayed for them? That's somebody else's job. You need to pray for me because I work with them. I'm going to pray they get fired. No, I'm just I might have at some point, but I told them work in progress. I didn't immediately follow her. Let me also say this. What happened was not like a movie script. It wasn't like I prayed for him, we reconciled, now we're best friends, we go on vacation together, I was in his wedding, none of that. <laughs> we still ain't friends. True story. But can I tell you what happened? After some while I began to pray for him and God began to change my heart. That's what it was about. It's not that you pray so you have this fairy tale ending. In fact, let me just say this, there are some people in your life you may never fully reconcile with. But it doesn't mean God still does not want to do a work in your heart. It doesn't mean you're, not, you're still called to forgive them for the wrong they've done to you. You're still called to pray for those who persecute you, bless those who cursed you. Can I just say this? Some of you, you are being held back right now by the offense in your heart. And you're wondering why you feel like there's some friction spiritually. It's because the Bible says God opposes the proud. And one of the most prideful things you can ever do is remain offended. Because God forgave you of your sin. God forgave you of your offense. So we're called to do likewise. I was for somebody because first service didn't get that. But we're called to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. All right, number two. Number two. We got to see our neighbor. Then we have to slow down for our neighbor. Verse 34, so Samaritans saw him, and then he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Oil was healing. Wine was an antiseptic. He put the man on his donkey, which to give you context, in that culture, um, many people had servants. So um, this man, the fact that he owned a donkey, told you he was a man of financial wealth. And for him to get off of his donkey and to walk next to the donkey, he took the position of a servant. So he put a Jewish man on his donkey and walked alongside of him. And then he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. So he, he, he didn't just see him, 
he stopped for him. Anybody here, you're, maybe you're like me. I hope there is. There weren't many in first service. They really judged me. Um, um, but, but you have a propensity to pack out your schedule. Like you can find your, anybody here, you'd say, sometimes I can be a little bit too busy. Anybody else, you're, you're just honest enough. The rest of you are liars, and that's your, that's your problem, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I love you. Um, but I, I can have a very packed schedule. And sometimes what happens um, is, is I don't have a lot of margin in my life. And when you read the Gospels, here's, this is convicting. Read it for yourself. The majority of the miracles Jesus performed were actually the result of interruptions. Anybody else? Come on. You're like, I've got time for interruptions, right? Come on. I ain't got no time for no interruptions. I got a schedule. You get on this train or you get off. But the majority of his, here's the thought I had. Perhaps what we view as interruptions are actually divine invitations for a move of God. And sometimes the reason we're not seeing a move of God is because we have no margin for him to move. He's like, I want to move, but you have a meeting every 30 minutes. I, I want to move, but you're trying to do 12 hours of work in eight hours. Now, maybe I'm just preaching to myself. But, but, but listen, the miraculous happens in the margins. It's when we have some room to breathe, to breathe. Because when I don't have margin, I'm not going to give my, my, my physical neighbor the attention they might need. I'm not going to give somebody I work alongside the attention they might need outside of the meeting. I, I might not be able to give the people in my own home the attention they need. That perhaps that coworker tomorrow morning who... You're like, oh, please, Lord, go away. <laughs> Perhaps, oh, come on, that person who calls your phone, come on. And you're like, oh, voicemail. <sighs> Perhaps it's a divine invitation. And God's going to be saying, hey, that person who's calling you that you're viewing as an inconvenience is actually my invitation because they're going through a hard time and they need someone to listen to, to them. And perhaps you taking the time to listen to them will soften their heart enough to experience my love for them. Because sometimes the only gospel of people at your work will ever hear about is the way that you treat them. Or your neighbor, the way that you love them. And these are invitations God is giving us. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And we, 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 we become more aware. Listen, I'm not saying to not be a go-getter. I'm not saying to not, not work hard. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying let, let some breathing room, let some margin. Be, be aware when you find yourself. Here's how you know this. When you find yourself too busy to give your attention to the people around you, you might be too busy. Maybe I'm just speaking to myself. Peter Cesaro said this, love has a speed, and it's slower than I am. There's a good chance it's slower than you are. Love pauses. Love lingers. Love offers full focus. It gives far more than it takes. And when I run too fast, I outrun love. The people I love 
pay a price. You know, we have had our uh, five-month-old golden doodle puppy for three, three weeks now, Toby. If you're a dog owner or you know of you know, no dogs, you have to take them on walks. And uh, so typically for me, I, I usually, out of, out of the three walks a day, I'm usually at least two of them. Uh, I'm his favorite. Um, I say that because Christina's not here. Uh, no, but I take him on two walks. And, and the one thing, the first, um, I don't know anybody else's dog's like this, but he like, he like stops in like every yard, sniffs around, marks his territory, Next yard, picks up a stick, stops, chews on it for a while. I'm like, bro, I got a schedule, my man. You got to go. Come on. Do your business so we can go inside. First few days, I was getting a little frustrated. I'm like, come on, bro. Like, you walking me. I'm, I'm supposed to be walking you. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's incredible is after a few days of, of having to, God did some work in my own heart. I began to realize, I began to get to know all of these people in my neighborhood, in my community. Because I'm not walking my dog, they're walking their dog. And our dogs are smelling each other. So what you going to do besides say, hi, how are you? Our dogs know each other. We're not going to do that, but we can talk. <laughs> It'd be a little awkward. <laughs> and, and. I have probably gotten to know more people in the past three weeks than I did in almost three years. Because Toby is teaching me, slow down a little bit. Like, just, just kind of get to know some people. Now, here's, here's the one thing you can pray for your pastor. I often get people's names and their dogs' names mixed up. So there's this man I talked to twice, and I don't know if his name's Finn or his dog's name's Finn. So when I see him, I just say, hey, Finn. And I see who responds. So pray for me. I'm terrible at names. If I forget your name, just it's me, okay? Um, but, man, let, let's create some more. Just slow down a little bit so you can, you can love, love the people in your life. But then he cared for him. You know, he, he bandages wounds. He did wine and, and oil. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke 6, 36, is be merciful just as your father's merciful. That's the same Greek word for the word pity in the Luke 10 parable. It's the word splonknizomai. It's compassion with action. He says, he says, have compassion on people. Do you know that we actually represent Christ well when we care for people well? When we're a listening ear to that coworker who's walking through a divorce, and maybe walking through lots of pain. When we offer to pray for a church member in the lobby, maybe he's, he's going through a hard time. When we just stop and give our neighbor attention for a moment. Or maybe we know a neighbor has been going through a hard week. Maybe they got home from the hospital. Maybe a kid's sick. And, and come on, you send them the ministry of Uber Eats. Come on, somebody. Anybody else? That's a great ministry there. Like, like those moments, just, just, just caring for people. I, you know, sometimes I think if we're not careful, if you've been around church for a while, let me speak to those of you who you've been, like you're well-churched people. Sometimes if you're not careful, what the enemy would love for you to do is overcomplicate Christianity. Sometimes what you do, you don't need a fresh word from God. Sometimes you just need to care for people better. I'm not saying don't keep getting words, don't keep reading your word, but man, let's, not, let's make sure we do the basics well. And man, caring for people well. 
Again, starting your own household, your neighborhood, your community, the fellow church. Can I tell you this too? One of the reasons why we're encouraging you and asking you, hey, get involved in the dream team. Because we believe there's a biblical responsibility, opportunity for us to care for each other by serving each other. Man, you were cared for today by our setup team. Do you know why? Because you couldn't be sitting here without our setup team. Come on, somebody. Can we give it up for our setup team real quick? You're being cared for by our production team. Our kids are being cared for by our children ministry team. Just a reminder, pick your kids up. Some of y'all try to leave them sometime, okay? We will feed them sugar for every minute. You are late. We probably will on Easter, though, for real, though. So just a little prepared. Moving on. Paul said this in Galatians 6. Carry each other's burdens, watch this, in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. We're there for each other. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said about this parable. The first question, which the priest and Levite asked, was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? I don't encourage you to have that posture this week. Oh, man, if I, don't, if I don't slow down to pay attention to those around me, man, what, what might happen to, to them? See our neighbor, slow down for our neighbor. Here's the last one. is a sacrifice for my neighbor. Sacrifice for my neighbor. It says here in verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper to look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So if he gets room service, he orders that UFC fight on pay-per-view, I got him. Now, this was uncommon because inns were known as a place that people cheated innkeepers out of money. So he, and you never prepaid for your stay. Like your boy prepaid, watch this, two denarii was worth two months of stay at a hotel. So imagine the equivalent of you walking over to the Hilton or right here at the Hotel Bethesda. Hey, two months, he's good. And if he, if he gets anything extra, like if he invites his boys over and they hang out, I got it covered. Which that never happened. Because can I tell you this? Listen, the Christian way of loving has always been and will always be countercultural. Go above and beyond. The very essence and nature of our faith is that word love in this passage is agape. It is a sacrificial love. It's, it's, it's I give sacrificially. I care for sacrificially. Reminds me of Galatians 5. Paul said, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, free from your sin. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, the Galatian church were taking some liberties with their freedom. Uh, you can reference back two weeks ago, I spoke to some of that, the importance of heeding the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you might have liberty to do some things that might not be helpful. And Paul's saying, listen, don't, don't re, re-enslave yourself to sin, Paul's saying. And watch this, here's what he says the key is. Here's the key to staying free is you serve somebody else. Serve one another humbly in love. Can I tell you, and this is Bible and research. I'll give you research in a moment. 
one of the best things you can do for your own problems is help somebody else out with their problem. In fact, Adam Grant, author, says this. I love this quote. He wrote this, said this in the New York Times. There is a lot of evidence that one of the best anti-anxiety medications available is generosity. Explore the Journal of Science and Healing in 2018 found that volunteering and donating money releases feel-good brain chemicals and activate the part of the brain stimulated by the pleasures of sex. Some of you just woke up. Like, sex. That's the only reason I said that word. <laughs> Studies show that those who volunteer had lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol on the days they did volunteer work. Some of you went home from serve day yesterday tired, but less stressed. The research shows us. Harvard Medical School found a statistical correlation between volunteering, serving people, and lower blood pressure and a, lo a longer lifespan. Let me go back to Jesus. Because this is not an epiphany. This is not, wow, that's amazing. Read the words of Jesus. He said, if you want to find true life, true fulfillment, true joy, lose yourself. Lose your life in service. Let me caution us to a current that runs in our culture. I'm gonna, it's, it's nuanced, so I'm going to try to speak to the nuance. But there is dangers in the current of our very um, strong self-care culture. Um, Self-care has doubled in Google searches over the last five years. Like, there's a propensity of like self-care. It kind of goes back to like, you know, good vibes only. <laughs> and listen, you should take care of yourself. In fact, some of you in this room, like you, you're on that side, maybe you've overextended yourself. A lot of times, listen, at Catalyst Church, if you're newer to Catalyst, every day at Catalyst is Mother's Day. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Moms can sometimes feel that, right? Any mom's room say amen? You didn't say amen because you're asleep, because you're like, oh, I have no kids with me right now, gosh. It's okay, moms, you can always sleep. Hey, if you're, if you're, if you're married to or you're friends with somebody who, who maybe they live overextended, maybe because you're, you're serving at home, you're, maybe you're serving a lot, other people, man, serve them by taking care of them to make sure they get the right rest and recovery. But, Self-care, and listen, you should take care of yourself, but the self-care kind of narrative over-promises and under-delivers because you're not going to find true life with a day off or a day on the golf course, and I'm falling in love with golf recently, or a massage, or a day out on the lake. Like, you should take care of yourself, but listen, the narrative of the self-care culture is often the antithesis of the Bible. Because the Bible says you find your life when you lose it. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He didn't come to take care of himself. So you take care of yourself. Again, take care of yourself. But don't fall in the narrative that somehow the key that you're missing to true fulfillment and joy is found in somehow another massage, another day off, another day on the course. No, according to Jesus, the Savior of our soul, if you want true life, true fulfillment, true joy, get your eyes off of yourself for a moment and put it onto somebody else. That's the key. Your cortisol levels will lower. Your blood pressure will decrease. You'll be happier. 
this is the way God created us. So, man, as you go home today, man, how can I put my eyes on my spouse, on my roommate? What do they need? How can I serve them? As you go into work tomorrow, how can I serve my my coworkers? How, How can I take more opportunities to notice my coworkers around me? Here at the church, I'm telling you, if you join and serve on the dream team, you will be glad you did because these are the words of Jesus. I love what Thomas Brooks says. The best way to do ourselves good is to be doing good to others. Matthew 23, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. My seven-year-old son inspired me this week. He uh, came home from school one day. He told Christina first, and I I got uh, after the fact. He told me the story. But he is really into Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. I may have shown him the movies. Don't judge my parenting. This isn't a parenting message. Um, But he was really into this, like, this raptor called Blue. It's a character, I think, in the newer Jurassic Worlds. So he he really wanted a a figurine of Blue. So we, we, we got him one. So all of his friends at school, they, 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 they bring, during the, when they have indoor recess, he brings his, like, blue character, and they, like, I don't know, fight each other. And so the other day, he had just gotten this, like, figurine. And he had one of his friends, kind of a newer friend at school, he said, he told Christina this than, than me. He said, um, when we were playing, a group of us, I noticed this friend didn't have a, a figure. He didn't have a blue. So I gave him mine. As he's telling me this, he's like smiling. And I'm like, man, you, you've been wanting this, this figurine for so long. What did, he, what did he experience? You find true life when you lose it in service to others. And how many know as his parent wanted to reinforce that behavior, we got him a bigger dinosaur. Come on, somebody. My son got himself a T-Rex right now. I don't know where we'll go from there if he gives that away. But what did he experience? What the Bible tells us. Man, when you serve, when you take your eyes off yourself. So I'm going to challenge us to do it. Jesus closes with this. My last scripture. He tells the man, well, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Go and do likewise. I close this quote from C.S. Lewis, author, theologian. He says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor, but act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. The cultural current is feelings lead, decisions follow. But scripturally, we make decisions to love. And then God transforms our heart. Can we pray, church? Bow your heads. Just right where you are.